Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the honor of uh, sharing with you today. Uh, pardon me, I do have a little bit of a head cold, so which is why I have the mask and the box of tissues, because um, you never know what's going to happen. Um, so uh, before we get started, uh, let's just pray. Again, uh, Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that uh, I pray that you open your ear, our ears so that we can hear uh, what you would have us to hear. Open our hearts so that we can receive um, what you'd have us receive, Lord. And Lord, I pray um, that as we encounter your word, we are transformed, that we become um, followers of you, that we become doers, Lord, um, that this isn't just information that gets passed on. In Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, now we've been going... Um, through the book of Exodus for the past several weeks, uh, the story of Israel's redemption from Egypt. Um, and, and, and this is the defining story of the Israelites, the story of how God saved them. It's what they look back to when they were conquered by Babylonians, Greeks, Romans, uh, Byzantiums, like, like, and others. Okay, and it, it's, it's still what's remembered in their exiles today. It's still spoken about. And it's told so they can look at each other and say, hey, hey, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Remember, God's not forgotten us. Remember that time when we were slaves? For 430 years, we were slaves. But God didn't forget us. He saved us. And we're still his people. He won't forget us. And uh, I, I believe that that's a relevant message for us today because we're a people that often act like God's done. Right, that God finished. Um, maybe you might have a God story or two in your youth, but maybe now not so much. And you know, everything kind of gets explained away as luck or coincidence. But I say, no, no, God is still at work. And so, that's why we're studying this. And today we reach the, the one of the darkest parts of the story, the plagues. Okay, now this is a massive amount that we're going to go through. Today. We're going to go through about six chapters of Scripture so. Hold on to your seats. We're going to go fast. Um, so but, but before um, the plagues start, uh, God reminds Moses, his prophet, why he is sending the plagues. And this is Exodus 7, uh, verses 2 through 5. You are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and I stretch out my hand against Egypt, and I bring the Israelites out of it. Now, um, earlier in this um, story, um, in chapter 5, uh, Pharaoh told Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I did not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So that was Pharaoh's heart. 
Pharaoh's heart was already hard. And even as God was at work to free Israel, oh, I died. Okay, sorry, I think we're having some sound issues today. Um, God was also at work to show Egypt who God was. God wanted Egypt to know him and to know his power, and we're going to get a little bit more into that later. Now, the confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh over these like it's not just an argument between two individuals. Um, Moses is God's prophet. His role is to demonstrate and articulate the desire and will of God. And Pharaoh is considered the God king of the people of Israel. Right? So it's a battle between two spiritual forces. And, and, and the plagues, uh, are really, they're, they're not all plagues. They're miraculous signs. They demonstrate the finitude, the smallness of the gods of Egypt and the power and dominion and might of the God of the Israelites. And there are 10 of these signs, so we're going to go through them kind of quickly. The first sign was turning the Nile and all the water to blood. Um, and it killed all the fish in the river. Right? And of course it stank. And, and, and the, Nile, the Nile is the reason why Egypt exists. Um, it's, it's Egypt's defining characteristics. The regular predictable flooding of the Nile is why civilization developed there. Um, the river was seen as a source of life. And, and the, Egypt worshipped several gods and goddesses that were connected to the, to the Nile. And so when the river turned to blood, it was like a challenge to the gods of Egypt. Now, now at that point, Egypt could have said, okay, your god's stronger than, than ours, but they didn't. They didn't say that. Um, this is chapter 7, verses 22 through 24. But the Egyptians' magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and to Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace, it did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water, because they could not drink the water of the river. The Egyptians could mimic the same actions as Moses, and so, so Pharaoh just ignored them. Uh, despite the hardship, Egypt could ignore the sign and pretend, well, well, we could do that. So they just pretend that their God's just as strong. And so then the next sign, the next sign, God sent frogs. Lots and lots of frogs. Um, actually, in Jim Gaffigan's new that's special, there's a little scene about this. He talks about the frogs um, for this play. Just advertisement for Jim Gaffigan. Problems with this? Can I switch to this? Because I feel like I'm coming in and out. Yeah. All right. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll try this. Okay, so the Egyptians, they could mimic the same actions as Moses, and Pharaoh ignored them. And despite the hardships, Egypt could ignore the sign, and they could pretend that their god was just as strong. So the next sign was frogs. God sent frogs, tons of frogs, lots of frogs. And the people of Egypt, they, they, they could dig new wells to avoid the bloody waters of the Nile. Right? They dug new wells, they tried to, to get water some other ways but they could not avoid the frogs. They were in their beds, in their ovens, in their food stores, in their wells. Frogs everywhere, everywhere. And notice, um, the first plague was the death of all the fish and blood. The second plague was like an abundance of life. It's life out of control when it shouldn't have happened all over the place. And again, the Egyptian magicians said, oh yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can make frogs too. And so they made frogs. Um, 
which didn't really help anything because there was already too many frogs. Um, so um, th there were frogs everywhere, and, and you couldn't walk. You couldn't walk. There were so many frogs. Like if you walked, you were stepping on a frog. Um, it was gross. Uh, and and you couldn't drink because because all your cups had frogs in them. And um, like your wells, you 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 pull up some water, and and there would be frogs in your well water. Um, and yet you couldn't cook because the frogs were in your ovens. Okay, so it's not just like one or two frogs. It's frogs, frogs. And um, now frogs, they're they're a sign of life and fertility in Egypt because they came during the annual flooding of the river. Okay, and that's so that's necessary for the crop cycles. And so they're a sign of fertility. And and Egypt even had like a frog head goddess of fertility, Hecate. And um, the abundance of frogs, instead of being a sign of blessing and fertility became a curse, okay? There's too much. So Israel, like, said, okay, okay, you win. You can go. But he, he, it was only a kind of. This is Exodus 8.8. 8. Moses summoned, or sorry, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let you and your people offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now, the language that Pharaoh is using here, it's language of negotiation. All right. You do this, and I'll do that. We'll trade. Um, Pharaoh's bargaining with Moses. Pharaoh still thinks he's in charge. After all, his magicians can make frogs too. So Moses is like, all right, all right. I'll ask for these frogs to go away. And so then all the frogs died. Okay. Now, there's still mountains and mountains of frogs, but, um, you know, um, and remember, the frogs are a symbol of life. But now they're dead and rotting. Symbols of life, and so they 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 pile over, pile, make ginormous piles of rotting dead frogs, and the whole land stunk. Um, but there's no more new frogs. Okay, but then Exodus eight fifteen, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Once again, Pharaoh was like, no, no, no. So, then Aaron. He threw down his staff. Aaron is Moses' brother, and he's kind of working with uh, Moses. And then there's the next sign. He threw down the staff, and out of the dust came the next sign, which were gnats. Now, scholars, they, they actually don't really know what kind of insect it was. The word's kind of ambiguous. Um, they just know it was some sort of flying, biting insects. So it just as easily could have been fleas or lice or mosquitoes. And I like to think mosquitoes because, I mean, if you've been in Alaska and you've been out in Alaska, you know what the hordes and hordes of mosquitoes are like. Um, you know, swarms and swarms of mosquitoes. And this time, the magicians, they cannot mimic the signs. Those, those, those mosquitoes, because in my mind they're mosquitoes, they're coming up out of the ground, um, out of the dust, which is weird because they shouldn't come out of the dust. But it calls back to Genesis, right, when God takes the dust of the earth and he breathes into it to form people. And to Israel, dust represents death. And now death is harassing the Egyptians. And, and the magicians talk to Pharaoh. This is Exodus 8.18. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Now, um, okay, one of those weird translation things. Okay, this is the finger of God. Um, a Another reading of this, you know, maybe a little bit more accurate, was this is a finger of a god. Not like the god, but a god. Um, the magician is saying, okay, yeah, maybe there's some sort of higher power at work. 
but they're not yet giving that, you know, attributing the God of the Israelites. Like something's happening. There is some God. But remember, way back in the beginning of the sermon, God told Moses that he wanted Israel to know that he is Lord. And this is the start of the process. This is the start of the cracks. All right, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something here. All right, moving on to the fourth side, flies. And here God starts differentiating. Um, the flies swarm the lands of Egypt so much they cover the surface of everything. They cover people, the houses, the ground, um, except for in Goshen, which is where the Israelite slaves live. And the scripture says in verse 24 that there's so many flies that the land itself was ruined. And I don't know what that means, but that's got to be bad. Like, that can ruin the land. So flies everywhere, all over. Ugh. Um, so because, have you ever felt a fly just crawling on you? And you're like, oh, what is that? Yeah, it just creeps me out, just thinking about it. So, once again, Pharaoh begins negotiating. And here it gets weirder. Um, Pharaoh and Moses, they start haggling. And this occurs over the next few signs. And it's obvious that Moses is trying to free Israel. But he, he just, he doesn't say that, like, okay, now I want you to let all my people go. He just says, like, hey, let us go out to the wilderness to make sacrifices. And Pharaoh, he knows that that's what he wants. And so Moses, Pharaoh makes accommodations, but they're only kind of part of what Moses asks for. Because, you know, he doesn't want them to leave. And I don't know why they're arguing indirectly. Um, perhaps that's a cultural thing. You know, they didn't want to be, like, too direct. Um, so in some cultures, you know, you, you don't bargain like that. You kind of bargain around things. Um, I don't know. Uh, but they're always kind of using euphemisms. And Pharaoh always argues, hey, you know, Moses, you guys can make sacrifices right here. You don't need to go all the way out there. But Moses responds, and he responds correctly, that the, the Egyptians, they won't stop, tolerate sacrifices to a foreign god in their midst. Right? Because, because they don't know the God of the Israelites. They don't want the Israelites to make sacrifices. They think they'll, they'll anger their gods. So Pharaoh finally relents. But he tells the, uh, Moses not to let the Israelites go too far. Just, just go a little bit out there. Don't go too far. Um, and Moses asked God to remove the flies. But then, Exodus 8, 31-32. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. But not a fly remained. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. All right, so once again, and now there's a next sign. And this is a, this isn't a death sign. Okay, this is a sign of death. The death of all the livestock. All the cattle, the goats, the sheep in Egypt died, but none belonging to the Israelites. And uh, just, just an inside scoop, Egypt, you know, like with the Nile, how they had several Nile gods. They had several cow gods. Um, and later in, later in the book of Exodus, we'll see, see them make an appearance. But um, this is another sign of the destruction of Egypt's gods by the god of the Israelites. And so Exodus 9-7, Pharaoh investigated and found not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died. Yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. All right. So... Here it comes again, another. And there's 10 of these, so, it, it, so as I said, we're going through a lot. Then came a plague of boils. And, and, and just to recap, there have been plagues now that affected water, earth, air, animals, and now it's affecting people directly. 
boils cover all the Egyptians and all their animals. So much so that the court magicians that um, they, they, they can no longer stand in front of Pharaoh. I don't know if they're at the bottom of his feet or they're just too embarrassed and too hideous, but like the court musicians, like they have to hide. They no longer make appearances. But Pharaoh's heart, he was, it was still hard and he still would not let the people go. And this is the first time that actually uses the language um, that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Before it's just, you know, God's heart, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Um, this time it's the first time it directly says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay, plague seven, the seventh sign, hail, hail. Now, not just any hail. This is a massive storm that covers the land. This, there's no, this is no ordinary storm. It, it's massive and powerful, and it, it, there's thunder and lightning, and it's the greatest storm that Egypt had ever seen. It happens because God wants Egypt to know him and his power. So Moses is instructed to let Egypt know before it happens that the storm's coming. There's a storm coming. And so Egypt is given a sign of grace. Mercy is offered, even to those that aren't, you know, that aren't following him. Like, hey. Something's happening. So this is Exodus 9, 19 through 20. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the Lord, the world, sorry, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. Egypt was starting to learn. These are bigger cracks now. Um, so they're, they're listening. Not everybody, but some people are. They're like, okay, we got to bring our stuff inside. But, you know, a lot of the people are still rebelling, or, you know, still not listening. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh, he admits, oh, he's, he's like, okay, okay. I was, I'm, I'm wrong not to let the people go. And he asked Moses, he said, hey, Moses, could, could you just pray that God will bless us? And so... Moses prays, and the storm stopped. But then again, Moses still would not let the people go. His heart was still hard. So, once again, Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh to let him know of the next sign, a horde of locusts. Um, it would appear, and it's going to devour all the plant life. And finally, finally, Pharaoh's officials, they've all had enough. They've all had enough, and they're like, and they tell him, this is Exodus 10, 17. Pharaoh's official said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Okay. The officials have, have finally turned on Pharaoh. They're like, no, this is enough. This is enough. Egypt almost knows, knows God. All the officials turned on him. It's no longer worth holding on to the Israelites. They're too much trouble. So once again, Pharaoh tries to bargain. He offered to let the men go. Just the men. Women and children had to stay in Egypt. And of course, this is unacceptable. So the locusts came, and they ate all of the plant life, even the bark on the trees. Okay, so all the plants are dead. All the crops are dead. Okay, most of the crops were destroyed in the hail, but they were still like... The, those are the crops that are ready to be harvested. All the newer crops that are coming up, they're all eaten now. There's nothing left. So once again, Pharaoh summons Moses, and he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But as soon as the locust's gone, Pharaoh's heart is hardened once again. 
and then the ninth plague. Okay. Darkness. Darkness. Egypt is plunged into the dark. And once again, only Goshen, the area the Israelites lived, had any sun. It was pitch black, so dark people couldn't move. And this demonstrated God's power over Ra. Ra was the chief deity of the Egyptians, right? Viewed as their creator, right? The king of the gods. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Ra. Pharaoh was considered the son of Ra. And Pharaoh once again said, all right, I'll let Israel go. But this time, you can't take any animals. Like, you know, all of our animals are dead. All of our livestock are dead anyways. Like, you give us all your stuff. But Moses refused, claiming that the animals were going to be needed to transport them and for sacrifice. And this is um, uh, 10, verses 27 through 28. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. And Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. And so Moses left. Now, um, I know this is a lot. We've cruised through four chapters already. Um, and, and this isn't normally the way I like to preach. Um, I usually like to kind of just take one small passage and kind of mull around with it. Um, but these plagues altogether, they're a sign that Egypt's well, the Egyptians, they're experiencing the confusion and the frustration of creation. All right? It's a demonstration of God removing his hand of protection from Egypt. And the land itself, the land itself could not bear it. Right? And, and so later on we know that all create, we're told in uh, Romans chapter 8, that all creation groans under the weight of sin. Creation is disordered, decaying, coming unravel, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of the children of God. And, and if you want to know what that decay looks like, here it is. This is the story of what it looks like. This is what decay looks like. Things that should bring life are poisoned and bring death. Life grows out of control at the wrong time and in unhealthy amounts, right? And interferes with, like, the production of more fruitful life. And all of that, darkness, all of that leads to darkness, to decay, and to eventually to death. And that takes us to the last plague. Um, and it's the worst because it shows the outcome of not knowing God, which is death. Um, the death of every firstborn son in Egypt. And, and Moses is given uh, detailed instructions by God um, so that the Israelites could avoid this next plague. And we're told that this is so that Israel will never forget that they were freed from a place of death. Uh, they were to leave death behind and to enter into God's promised land. And so the Israelites were to mark their doors with blood and they were to eat bread made without yeast because they're not supposed to wait around for the bread to rise. They got to be in a hurry to leave. Get out of that death. Okay. And now why every firstborn son? Well, there's, there's a couple reasons. One, it's a callback to the beginning of the book of Exodus when Pharaoh had all of Egypt kill every male baby. Um, now, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit more about justice in the next chapter because there, there's the parting of the Red Sea and stuff. Um, and so we're, we'll talk about justice um, in the next chapter. But it's still hard to hear, right? Like all, all, the, all the babies, like all of them, the animals even, 
Um, but why the firstborn? And there's a reason. The firstborn is the heir in, in the, those cultures, right? The firstborn son is the heir. They're the ones that hold all the promise. They're the ones who get that get everything. The firstborn males inherit everything. Uh, they're the future. The plagues, this sign, it's a message that following the Pharaoh, listening to that Pharaoh, Egypt no longer had a future. The future of those that follow Pharaoh is death. So Exodus, I'm going to start in verse 29. I'm going to read a little bit longer passage here. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night. There was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go, and also bless me. And the Egyptians, the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and to leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulder in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they had asked for. And so they plundered the Egyptians. Egypt went from viewing the Israelites as a weak, enslaved people to a people protected by a mighty God. The power of Pharaoh was broken. The gods of Egypt were shown to be powerless, and the God of Israel was shown to be mighty. And, and the Egyptians were in a hurry to get the Israelites to leave. Who knows what else God was going to do to them? Um, now, I, I don't like that the word plunder is used in verse 36. They plundered all of Egypt. Um, so, you know, perhaps that's, you know, 430 years of back wages for slavery. But um, we don't know. But actually, later on in Exodus, we'll see how Israel uses all that gold and silver. And it's not for good things. <laughs> and so Israel is free. Now, I, I skipped over a lot of the Passover stuff. And there's a lot there about Passover instructions. And all those Passover instructions, they point to Jesus, whose death freed all of creation from the slavery of sin. But let's just stay in the Old Testament for a minute. The first thing, even as Israel is preparing to leave Egypt, the first thing that God told Moses was how to remember this event, everything that happened. And just like how Egypt's firstborns were all marked. All of Israel's firstborns are to be marked too. Egypt's God led to death. All of Egypt's firstborn died. All of Israel's firstborn, they were to be redeemed. Okay? They were to make special sacrifices. They belong to God. They're consecrated to God. The God of Israel is a God of life. Israel, or sorry, not Israel, Exodus 13, chapter 11. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you and your ancestors, 
You are to give over to the Lord, the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. And if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, Israel killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. And this is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male of every first male offspring of every womb, and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. The future of Israel is life, right? God is the God of life. And and, and, and that's the future of Israel's people, a life of freedom and blessing. And the future for those that follow the gods of Egypt, that follow Pharaoh, is enslavement and death. But for those that follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of the Israelites, for those that follow that God, the future is life. The future is life. And, and not just for them, for the whole world. Um, eventually, even Egypt. Later on in Scripture, the prophet Isaiah speaks about Egypt. Um, and he speaks of the hardship that Egypt will suffer. But then he gives Egypt a glorious future. Um, this is Isaiah 19. I'm going to start in verse 19. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifice and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord, and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria, and the Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. There will come a day when God will claim the Egyptians as his people, too. Okay, we, we just spent like 10 hard chapters like hearing about how horrible the Egyptians were and how that they suffered. But God is always at work redeeming. God is always at work trying to bring us back to him. God does not give up on this creation, no matter how fallen it is, no matter how lost and dark it becomes. God does not let evil have the last word. And so Egypt will be God's people. Okay. And that's something I don't think we hear enough. Egypt is going to be God's people. And I don't know, know about the state of your soul. I don't know how you love God or if you know Jesus. But I, I want you to know this, to hear this, that God wants to know you. God loves you. And, and you may have done things, terrible things, or maybe, maybe terrible things have been done to you. But God still loves. Israel had to be set free because Israel led to Jesus. And Jesus paid the price for redemption. Israel needed God's redemption. Egypt needed God's redemptions.
and we need God's redemption. And he has not forgotten any of us. Okay? When we hear the story, this isn't the story of God hating Egypt. This is the story of a God at work to redeem, to restore, even then. And yeah, it gets dark. But we have dark stories. We have dark lives. The world is dark. And God will still work there. He has not forgotten us. He is at work. Jesus Christ is the redemption for you, for me, and for Egypt, if we're willing to receive him. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you um, that you're always a God who loves. Yes, you are a God of justice. Yes, you are a God of glory. You are a God of holiness, Lord. But you're also a God who redeems. That you're not willing that any should perish, God. But that you want to redeem. You want to restore. You want to call us out, God. That even those that set their hearts against you, God, you're still at work, Lord. You want to redeem them. Lord, even a place like Egypt, you're at work to redeem. You don't forget us. There's nothing that we can do. Or there's no place that we can go that can separate us from your love because your love is mighty. Your grace is mighty. Lord, I pray for the courage and the strength to live into that, to live into your mercy, to live into your grace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Worship team.